You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. We hope that what you're about to hear will bless you and empower you to live the life that God has called you to live. We hope that it will strengthen you in faith and that it will help you better understand and better recognize who you are in Christ Jesus. I really didn't. We're talking about you are the temple of God. You are the temple of God. And we talked about what was in the temple. And I read you this passage from 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 3 and chapter 6. It's two verses. One out of chapter 3. It says this, verse 17. 1 Corinthians 3, 17 says, If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God de- destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. And now listen to me. He's not talking about you smoking or overeating or drinking. And that's not what, how the, this defilement comes. In the context of the entire passage, which we have taught at length here on Wednesday evenings, the defilement comes from those who preach and teach the temple. The worst defilement, Paul is using him and, and, and Apollos as examples. We're wise master builders, he says. And if any, any man who's building defiles the temple, puts any inferior building blocks in it, he has defiled the temple of God. That means the teaching and preaching that comes to the body of Christ is a defilement that cannot be changed without r- real reconstruction. I have been a master builder for a long time in the body of Christ Amen. with thousands of people who hear me speak on a regular basis. And I have found that I have had to do some reconstruction on lots of churches and ministries that I've been associated with because of defilement that came in through teaching. It's a defilement to teach the children of God like they're slaves. And give them a mentality that God is way off up there and we somehow need, oh, we need you. They think worship means you've got to separate God from you. To worship God properly, you've got to have Him way off up there and see, see Him as holy, 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 unapproachable holy. And you're down here groveling in the mud, wishing He would pay some kind of attention to you. That's, what, that's the idea of worship in the minds of most Christians because they've been taught that defiled theology. It's an unholy thing. That is Old Testament thinking. Everybody understand me? That's Old Testament thinking. And it will never make you holier and it will never please God that you think he's off up there and you're here alone. You are the temple. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. You are the temple of God. He's not way off up there away from you. He's right here in you. And we worship him as Jesus on the throne, praise God. We do worship him, but we know that we have when we do that, we're in that throne room with him. He's sitting on the throne of our lives as we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. But you have access into his throne room as well. Instantly, just like that. You are the temple of God. Now let's read chapter 6 and verse 17. Verse 19, rather. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, What? Know you not that you are your body. Your body. Your body. Say my body. My body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you which you have of God, and you are not your own. We said that if we are the temple of the Holy Ghost, 
We need to see what was in that temple. And there are seven primary things that were in the temple. The brazen altar, the laver, the table of showbread, the lampstand, the altar of incense, the veil, the ark of the covenant, the mercy seat. The mercy seat is the ark of the covenant. Could I get some help? Where are my, where are my articles of furniture? Come, come help me. Come help me. I, I want the same ones if you're here. I'm the bowl. You're the bowl. Same thing? Well, same thing. Same thing. There they are. There they are. It looks good, doesn't it? There were seven pieces to the furniture in the, in the uh, temple and in the tabernacle of Moses and the temple of Solomon. And in the temple that Jesus stood in. When Jesus went into the into the temple. He went to the outer court and saw they were selling animals out there for, for, for merchandise, for, for commerce. They were, they were selling animals for people to sacrifice here on the brazen altar. And he cleansed the temple of all this merchandising. And he, that was the part he cleansed, the outer court. The brazen altar was where they came in for their sins. They had to make an offering before they could go any further. And by the way, when they brought the altar, when they brought the sacrifice, well, one of you young guys come over here and help me. Coy, one of you guys, come, either one of you, come over here right now. Hurry. Move. <laughs> Coy boy, would you do me a favor? Coy man, he's full grown now. Yes, come over here, son, do me a favor. Would, can you get, crawl on your hands and knees? Can you? Sure. You see why I didn't make Don do this? <laughs> the sinner, the, 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 the covenant man who is in sin, he brings his sacrifice. Brings his little... <laughs> he, bring, he brings his little black sheep. <laughs> <laughs> and the priest who is standing here by this altar doesn't even look at the guy who brings the sacrifice. All, he, he doesn't look to see if this guy is worthy, see if this guy is smiling or crying. He doesn't pay any attention to the, to the man at all. All he's interested in is he has a worthy sacrifice. He inspects the sacrifice. This is what makes your approach to heaven so wonderful. Because you come not on the basis of how well you've performed, you come to God on the basis of how good Jesus is as a sacrifice. Thank you, Cora boy. Appreciate you, son. Good job. You play a sheep well. You must really be saved. Then over here, we have the labor. And the labor represents to us, I'm just taking you through what we talked about last time. This is the forgiveness of sins over here. And this labor here, this is the first things we, we get established in our Christian life. Forgiveness of sins. The labor was a, was a great big bowl full of pure water. Great big, sitting on top of you actually, oh, and had, t had 12 giant brazen, brazen oxen. 12 brazen oxen, three on this side, three on that side, three on this side, three on the other side, all pointing outward, facing outward. Oxen. 
brazen, big giant things. And on top of them was this bowl. This bowl. Now oxen represent, in Paul's theology, represent the fivefold ministry, the preaching and teaching ministry. And they brought to us the power of the Holy Ghost. The water, the water of the Holy Ghost was in this brazen altar. So uh, this brazen bowl, brazen laver it's called. You get forgiveness of sins and immediately filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. Now, then you move on in to the inner court. You're allowed, you're allowed to be called holy once you get this taken care of. You get this established, you come in here. And we have some interesting stuff here. We have the table of showbread over here. The table of showbread. Now, Jesus doesn't say that this is the bread he is. He said he was the bread, the manna that came down from heaven. What is this? This showbread here is your ongoing relationship with God in communion. The bread that was broken for us is the body of Christ. But that showbread was for us to take in, a, in communion with, with the Lord and with each other. It's how we fellowship in the deepest possible way. It's like, you're not saying I'm getting saved today when I receive this bread, but I'm saying I'm getting the benefits of that salvation all over again. The showbread. And the showbread was to show us that God was in this covenant. And the meal says so. The covenant meal says so. Now over here, you have the candlestick, the lampstand, you know that menorah it's called. You find this menorah in unusual places around the world. The Jews have had interesting and powerful influence in every nation. And you find the menorah and the Star of David and emblematically printed into stone in virtually every culture in the world. Did you know that? The Jews' influence has been amazing. They've gotten in everywhere. It's in Rome. In Rome, you find, you find the Jewish menorah and the Star of David on Titus's gate. Now, Titus was the emperor who in AD 70 led troops down upon Jerusalem and destroyed the entire city and tore down the temple stone by stone. And when he goes back and, and he dies, dies quite young, just, he just got to be emperor for a few months and he died. And his brother Domitian, who was worse than he was, mean, angry against the church, Domitian built a, a, a big uh, gate. They call it Titus's gate. Built a gate along the Appian Way, along right beside the old Roman Forum. Miss Ann and I have been there. The old Roman Forum, not very far from where Paul was in prison, in the Mamertine prison. This big gate they built, Domitian built for Titus, commemorating his victory over Jerusalem. The victory over Jerusalem, are you kidding? It was a massacre over Jerusalem, thought it really was. Just a, just a bloody massacre. But, but on, that, on that gate is Titus on his horse, and all the people on the, on the ground walking have yarmulkes and carrying the menorah and the Star of David everywhere. But the menorah was the light of the temple. The light of the temple. It's not enough to have the bread of the word it's only enough to have revelation. Do you know there are people that have the Bible virtually memorized but have no re revelation of it? Yeah. That's why so many people can read the Bible one way. 
They, they, they get the history down, they think they know what the Bible's all about. I read all the creeds recently, all the Christian creeds throughout the 2,000 years of Christian experience. All of the official creeds. Starting with the Apostles' Creed, the very first one. The Apostles didn't really make this creed, but the second century believers did. The second century fathers like Iranius and Origen and those guys like that. They, Justin Martyr and Polycarp and, you know, those are names y'all probably don't even care anything about, but just say George and Bill and Ralph and <laughs> R R John, Paul, George and Ringo, you know. <laughs> but anyway, they, uh, these guys, they said, what, what was I saying? They didn't put, these are the guys who put together the, what they call the Apostles' Creed. Now listen to me. Not one of the creeds has the gospel in them. Not one of the creeds. You can look them up yourself. They don't have the gospel in them. They say, we believe, we do. Our, our, our confession is, Christ died, Christ was buried, Christ rose again the third day. Hey, you know the history, but bozos, you left out the mystery. The mystery of Christ dying and Christ being buried and Christ rising from the dead is that the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, He, was, he died for our sins. The for our sins part is the mystery. That's the gospel. That's what makes the man dying good news. He did it for me. He did it for you. Yes, sir. There's nothing, no good news about a man dying, except for Osama, maybe. <laughs> no, you hear about somebody dying, you'll say, hey, happy day, good news. If that guy threw himself in the, in the way of danger for you, there's some good news in that. Yeah. Scarcely for a righteous man, one would even die. But God demonstrated His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for our sins. Oh, man. And then we come to this place. The altar of incense. The altar of incense. That's what I want to talk about today. You, you four guys can go be seated. Thank you for your service. We made it past the brazen altar. Made it past... The, the brazen uh, laver, made it past the showbread, we made it past the candlestick, and now we're to the incense. The incense. This is the smell. This is what God smells in our sacrifice. The incense, the altar of incense. This is where we do our best worship. This is where we bring our sweetest things to say to Jesus. And saints, if you want to know what to say to Jesus, if I have to tell you what you need to be talking to Him about, I probably need to lead you to Jesus first. Because your heart, when you're born again, your heart knows what to say. Your heart knows what to say. And I reserve my deepest worship, my most intimate things and thoughts about Jesus for Him and me alone. I rarely ever do that in church. When we're alone, we talk. Yes. Amen. I talk to Miss Ann in church, but I talk to her a different way in our bedroom. 
What, did you think I was dead? Because I'm old? No, I talk to Jesus differently when I'm alone with him than I do in front of people. He and I have a, a secret code. Somebody asked me one time, because there's a lot of teaching about the confession of sin, saying you don't have really have to confess sin if Jesus died for your sins. I say, well, it may be right, but if you feel like you need to talk to him about your sin, that's between you and him. He is your high priest, and he is your high priest to talk to him the way you see fit, the way your heart needs to talk to him. If you need me to tell you what you can say to him and what you can't, just make sure it's scriptural what you say. You know, don't, don't be pray, talking to him and asking him stupid things like, Lord, my neighbor's wife is much prettier than mine. You said you'd give me the de desires of my heart and I desire her. That's not going to work. You could get killed real easy doing that kind of thing. Because if the guy next door ha happens to hear you praying like that, The altar of incense brings us to this most intimate, intimate time with Jesus. Now, let me, you can put your hands down, but can you all stand, stand there for a little while? I need you all to stand just in that straight line like that. The altar of incense. It represents Jesus' sinless life. It represents two things. His sinless life lived here in the, in the, in the uh, receptacle of the incense. And when it's set on fire, it burns and goes up. It represents the way he lived his life as a sacrifice to God in a beautiful way, sinlessly. And it represents his ascension, that, he's going, that he went up. In case you're not, you're not familiar with the, this doctrine of the rapture, Jesus was raptured off the planet. And as if it didn't happen to, if it's not going to happen to us and it didn't happen to him, but it did happen to him, that means it's going to happen to us. Amen. Which means your holy living, your way of life is an incense to God. And it's an indication of what is going to happen to you at the end of it all. The end of your holy living comes this day called the last trump. And I'm not talking about Donald. We're talking about the last trump when the dead in Christ shall rise first and we shall be changed and caught up together to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's the Apostle Paul's doctrine to the Gentile church. There's coming a day when he's going to snatch us off this planet. I believe this with all that's in me. There's coming a day He's going to take us out. Just as Jesus ascended up, we're going to ascend up too. The same way. Your holy living makes that happen. I was struck by Romans chapter 12 the first time I read it. Could you turn there, Romans chapter 12? We'll read the first two verses. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Holy living, punctuated by the rapture. 
I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Oh, not a dying sacrifice. You're not supposed to be a dying sacrifice. Remember, it wasn't the sinner that had to die, it was the sacrifice that had to die. And now we live a different kind of sacrifice. We're a, a living sacrifice. Now notice what it says in Hebrews 13, 15. Hebrews 13, 15. Can you turn there right quick? Hebrews 13, 15 says, By Him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. That's your living sacrifice. Your praise to God continually. Did, that notice, did you notice it did not say when you go to church? Did not say on Wednesday nights, and some of you wouldn't do it on Wednesday nights anyway, but just kidding. Sort of. It didn't say, it didn't say when we praise Him on Sunday. How many of you know that when you praise Him on Sunday, it's a good thing? But that said continually. Your life, your, your incense, the incense of your life is a life of continually thanking God. If you will become more thankful... And praise Him all the time in your car, on your job. If it's under your breath or out loud, whatever. If you just open your mouth and begin to offer the sacrifice of praise to God, you are in your incense. This is in you to do. This is in the temple. You are the temple, so this is in you to do. It's in you to, to lift your hands, to worship God, to offer continually the sacrifice of praise. And listen to this. Go back to Romans 12, 12, 1 and 2. It says there in Romans 12, 1 and 2 that we should offer our bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's not reasonable to ask somebody to, ser to serve me and, and you have to die every time you do it. It's not reasonable. He's asking you to not die for him, but to live for him. People used to say it a lot when I first came to the Lord. They'd say, well, are you willing to die for Jesus? Well, sure, that's easy. Living for Him is the hard thing. <laughs> Living so, so that my life is a real sacrifice. It's in you naturally to do. It's in you normally to do when you're born again. It's in you. But our religious training makes it difficult for us. Everybody understand what I'm saying? Because we're not taught... Enough that God loves us like sons. We're taught that God's going to judge us like servants. Amen. We're not taught enough that God loves us like sons. We're taught too much that God is going to judge us like servants. All right. We made it past the altar of incense where we offer up our thanks to God. And our life is a life of worship and praise to God the whole time. Even when we're going through things, we keep praising God. And this girl here was the right one for this. She'd been going through stuff, but she kept praising Jesus. She kept saying what God said about it. You keep on saying what God says about it. Amen. Amen. And she's walked out of cancer. Well, it didn't seem to be any way to walk out of cancer. Walked right out of it. Worshiping God. Amen. Amen. Okay, Rhonda, I'm going to let you take your seat. Sweet girl. I'll help you here. Praise God. Praise God. Then we come to the veil. 
the veil. The veil was not an evil thing. The veil was not an evil thing. It was a good thing. It kept most of Israel from dying. Because in their unregenerate state, they could not approach that, that, that holy place. The veil is Jesus' body torn for our entrance. That's what the veil means. The veil of His flesh torn for our entrance into glory. Listen to this. Matthew 27, 50. Matthew 27, 50 says, Jesus, when He had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost... And what he said there, we're going to find out what he said when he, yielded, when he cried out with a loud voice and yielded up the ghost. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. Verse 51, And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks tore, rent, it says, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which, kept, which slept arose. In verse 53, and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Did y'all know that event happened? That when Jesus rose from the dead, he had a first fruits of those who were in Abraham's bosom that came out of the grave that day with him. Glory to God. And that was part of his apex duo mind. Three ambuel. That was the day he led triumphantly, led captive, captive. They were captives of the devil. Now they're captives of the Lord. And he brought them out of, out of hell. Amen. And their bodies came to, back to life when their spirits, their regenerated spirits came out of the grave and reconnected with their bodies. Even their bodies couldn't stay dead, which is what's going to happen to your body one day when you come back with Jesus after the rapture or after you go to, go to be with the Lord at the rapture. Uh, if, we're, if we preclude, precede, I should say, those who are going up in the rapture, we will come back and join with our dead bodies and our bodies will shake the dust out of them and come back to life and we'll all get up out of the grave. Hallelujah. This is an event nobody talks about but Christianity. It's, event so, it's, it's an event so miraculous and so out there that most people have, have stopped talking about it. But the Bible still talks about it. Amen. This is going to happen. Uh, the one I used, uh, Matthew 27, 50 through 53. Now Mark 15, 38 says, And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And when the centurion which stood over against him saw that he was, saw that Jesus so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. So there's deliverance not only for the people who were dead, now there's deliverance taking part for the people who are viewing Jesus. This centurion said it. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three record him saying something like this. Two of them heard him say, this is the Son of God. And one of them heard him say, this was a righteous man. Luke 23. Luke 23, 42. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, this is the, the, one of the thieves beside him. Now you've got to get this picture. This thief beside him has been arguing with the other thief. The other thief said, look, if you're really who you say you are, deliver yourself and deliver us. I mean, we're all dying here, man. If you are who, the, who you say you are, deliver us. The other thief looks, looks across at him and says, shut up over there. <laughs> Idiot. You deserve what you're getting. I deserve what I'm getting. This man's done nothing wrong. They're all nailed to a cross. And this guy's defending Jesus. Then he looks at Jesus and he says, Lord, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
And Jesus says, I tell you today, you'll be, uh, truly, truly, I tell you today, you'll be with me in paradise. Amen. Now listen to me. That ought to tell you something about grace. Here's a guy hanging on a cross. He's a criminal. And he's already admitted he deserves to die like he's dying. And he speaks to Jesus. Can I put this in Oklahoma terms? Hey, Captain. If you'll save me, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. rest of your life you've got about three hours to live <laughs> how much sin can you do nailed to a cross I mean Amen. and Jesus said yeah. you got a deal yeah. I'll take you like you are yeah. I'll take you like you are <laughs> sorry no account good for nothing but when faith came alive in the man's heart started believing in Jesus Everything changed and Jesus treated him like he had never done anything wrong. Amen. Glory to God. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Today you shall be with me in paradise. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in the middle from the top down. I don't want to tear you in two, sweetheart. Thank you for that, she said. But I will just have you step aside with me. And then we see the glory of God. The Holy of Holies. What is this? This is the Ark of the Covenant. A big box, big golden box with a seat on top of it and angels on either side facing each other Till their wings, their wings go over like this and touch, touch one another, making a, a sort of hoopah in there, a covering in there. What this tells us is that the veil torn, his flesh torn meant that Jesus had fulfilled his mission. What he said was, uh, I lost my place. What he said was, my Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. After he had already cried out, it is finished, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he said, Tetelestai. Tetelestai. Tetelestai is T-E-T-E-S-T-E-L-A-I. Tetelestai. It's a Greek word which simply means finished, accomplished, done. Amen. A complete end. An end to what? Two primary things. An end of the law and an end to sin. Woo. Had to, he had to deal with what was cre creating sin for us, the law. And he had to deal with sin itself. And God reckoned him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, 
that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us this word of reconciliation. You are forgiven. You might as well receive it by faith. Amen. You are reconciled to God. You might as well be reconciled to God. You are holy in every way. You might as well live holy in every, every way. You are what God wants in His family. You might as well live like sons and daughters. Amen. Amen. Receive the reconciliation today. You have, what this means is you have throne room entrance and acceptance. The crowd with a loud voice and the veil of the temple was rent in two. And that brought us right into the Holy of Holies. Jesus himself went into the Holy of Holies in heaven and put his blood upon the altar. Put, hold your hands up. We'll say this is the mercy seat. He put his blood upon that altar. When the very first blood was shed, for the nation of Israel as a nation. They had to kill the lamb in the house and then post the blood on the doorpost outside the house. The blood had to be posted because just killing the lamb and eating the lamb did not keep the, the death angel out of their house. They had to post the blood on the doorpost. So when Jesus died, the work wasn't finished with respect to Eternity. It was done for, every, for, for that time and everything back. But it had to go on for eternity. And so he had to do something with that blood to make it eternal. When he came back from the dead, out of hell itself, re reconnected with his body, he said to Mary, Do not touch me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father and to your Father. Go tell my disciples I'll meet him in Galilee. Later he met him in Galilee and said, Here, Thomas, touch me. Put your fingers in the nail prints of my hands. Thrust your hand into my side and be not faithless, but believing. Stop being a doubter, you idiot. Wait a minute. He said to Mary, do not touch me because I'm not yet ascended to your father and my father, not, not ascended to heaven. But he says to Thomas, here, touch me. What's the difference? It means that sometime between those two events, that week, Jesus went to heaven and presented his blood because the high priest was not allowed to touch anybody after he had the blood. Amen. He didn't let anybody touch him on the day he rose from the dead. He took that blood and put it on this altar. Amen. This is the posting for eternity. Amen. This is the posting. As sure as that blood is on that, on that mercy seat right now. And Jesus then turned around and sat down. I'm not going to sit on your lap. But he sat down. He sat on the mercy seat. With the blood there, glory to God. He's seated there right now. Right now, he's seated in blood. For you, as long as the, the Son of God is seated in heaven, in, his, in the spiritual realm, in the eternal realm, that means his blood is eternal, and he has once and for all redeemed us forever. Now listen to me. <coughs> Wednesday night, we talked, touched on a verse of Scripture that I had a hard time finding. I, thought, I felt like the devil was fighting me. But it's in Hebrews 10, 14. Turn there. Hebrews 10, 14. You have throne room acceptance and entrance. For by one offering, He hath perfected, everybody shout it out, forever, them that are being sanctified 
them that are sanctified. He is perfected. He has perfected forever. You are perfected forever. You're perfected forever before you're sanctified. Well, I looked in the mirror this morning, Holland. I looked older than I did last year. Yeah, I know. Your flesh hadn't been perfected yet. Part of you has. One part of you got perfected the day Jesus put that blood on that altar. When he took that blood to that altar, the veil of the temple was torn in two. Why did the veil have to be torn in two? Anybody know? It had to be torn in two to let somebody other than a Levite in there. Somebody other than a Levite got in there. Melchizedek was back. Yay! Glory to God. Melchizedek was back. The priest of Abraham. The priest of the faith people. That's who Jesus is. He's the priest of the faith people. Not the legal people. We don't even belong here. But we got here by faith. Because faith is irresistible to God. It's like Miss Ann is irresistible to me. And you are, baby. Faith people are irresistible to God. Just like coconut pies is irresistible to Dylan. <laughs> Faith people are irresistible to God. And he made a way for us to get in there. Put our Melchizedek. Didn't put, didn't put Aaron on the throne now. Just so, so the Jews could get, get to heaven. He put Melchizedek there so we could all get to heaven. A whole different tribe. A whole different people running the show. Now our Jesus is seated on that throne in His own blood in the holiest place of all... It's kind of like light shining on her. It's kind of cool, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> the holiest place in all the world in all the universe. Wait a minute, wait a minute. This place is in you. Yeah, that's right. This place is in you. Did you forget we're talking about what's in us? Yeah. This is in you. The Christ who sits on the throne of His own blood, His own mercy. It's called the mercy seat. Romans, uh, Hebrews 4.12 says, Therefore let us come boldly before the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Anybody ever have a time of need this week? This, this week you had a time of need? Yeah. You go to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. All right, let's give our helpers here a big hand. We appreciate you so much. Well done. That helped paint the picture for you. You have throne room entrance and acceptance because all you've done when you picture the throne in heaven you relate to it as though it's right inside you. It is accessible because it is. It lives in a spiritual way in you. I was pastoring years ago out in West Texas. A family came to visit our church from Lubbock. I told somebody this story already. 
And I used to always have the children come forward and I'd sit around my feet. I'd sit up here on the steps and they would gather around my feet and I'd tell them a Bible story or ask them, did you learn anything last week? What story did you talk about last week? And some of them would say, Jonah. Jonah and the Ten Commandments. Or Moses and the whale. You know, something like that. Pretty cute. We'd have a good time and I'd get the congregation laughing and we'd pray over them and send them out to their children's church. That's where I did it back, back when. This one day they all came forward and I, I knew there was a visiting family there. They were part of one of the older couples in our church. Their daughter lived in Lubbock and had, had their grandbabies up there and they'd come to visit. This little four-year-old was a real cute little thing and I leaned down to talk to her. I said, what's your name? She said, my name's Manda. They call me Mandy. Okay, Mandy. Amanda. And where, where do you live? She said, Lubbock. That's where they say it. It's not Lubbock. It's Lubbock out there. Lubbock. Okay, you're from Lubbock. Uh, then, uh, and, and do you go to school? She said, uh-huh. I said, where do you go to school? I first asked her how old she was. She said, I'm four years old. Where do you go to school? She said, Texas Tech. I said, are they having problems with enrollment up there or something? Uh, <laughs> her grandmother said, Pastor, can I say something? I said, yeah. She said, she does go to Texas Tech. Her mom is a student there, and they have a daycare there on the campus yeah. called Texas Tech Daycare. <laughs> so she did go to Texas Tech. <laughs> Amen. See, you have access to places you don't belong as a Gentile with bacon on your breath, I have bacon on my breath this morning. Amen. You don't belong in the presence of God. But you're there. You're there anyway. What's he doing here? Well, they had a state dinner in, in, in Washington at the White House. And when they have these state dinners, they always have the dignitaries and presidents and prime ministers and dictators from around the world come in. And they... They line them up around this big table, and behind each of them is that guy's flag. You with me? The guy from Canada, he's got his flag. Yeah, who cares? The guy from Great Britain's got the, got the lumberjack, now he's got the Union Jack, the, the Union Jack flag behind him on the wall, hanging by, or standing on a stand right behind him. So when you look at him, you look at his flag right above his head. They oftentimes, from time to time, rarely, they will invite somebody who doesn't really belong there. There's a special flag for that. It's not, it's not often, but it, rarely they do. If they want to honor somebody like Nelson Mandela, they might have brought him in to, have a, to be in a state dinner with all his heads of, he was head of nothing at the time. You understand what I'm saying? They did that kind of thing from time to time just to honor somebody. Mother Teresa would have been one that they might have brought in to a state dinner. She'd have the Catholic flag behind her. This is taken from the Bible. The Song of Solomon. When it says, Jesus help me. So sweet. He says, he brought me to his banqueting table. His banner over me was love. 
She didn't belong there. She was the dark-skinned girl. Remember how they talk about her? I think she was a Mexican girl. <laughs> they tend to be beautiful, you know. She was a dark-skinned girl, Frank. She was dark and she didn't belong there. But the king loved her. And when he had a big state dinner, he put a flag up beside him. You can see her coming into the room. She'd been summoned by the king to be at this big banquet. She probably doesn't have the right clothes. She's dark because she works hard. She comes in there and the king says, here's your place. And she looks behind her, there's a big white flag with a great big heart on it. Great big heart on it. His banner over me is love. How did you get the right to be in the Holy of Holies? Let's just call it love. Let's call it the grace of God that looked at you and thought, man, I want them in my family. I look at people all the time. I see a lot of people, thousands of people I've come in contact with through the years, sometimes thousands at once. And I don't always say, I'd like to have that one in my family. I pick a few out here and there and say, I'd like to have him in my family. I'd like to have that one in my family. It'd be, a, be a girl that loves Jesus, a really pretty girl. Sometimes I say, I wish I had another son to give to you. But that doesn't happen all the time. Now and then. God just looked at mankind and said, I love you. I'll take you like you are. Snotty nose, dirty pants, everything. I'll take you like you are. And your banner, you don't, even have to, you don't even have to have a nation. You don't even have to have a people. You don't even have to have a, an identity. I'll give you the identity of the love of God. Miss Ann has always been one to understand this. I don't know how she got it. She, her dad, she didn't have a daddy in her home most of her life. And her mom had been divorced several times. And it, was, it wasn't the best situation. And I don't mean to put it down her mom. I'm just saying that it was in her past before she was saved. And all is well now. But when she, when she was young, she had a pretty hard upbringing. And, but when she got saved, she got saved clear to the marrow of her bones. Everything changed. She became a little bit harder to live with. <laughs> Because we were going to do things right. We were going to do things right. One day we had come home from church and gone out to eat with one of our elders. And uh, while we were there, we got a phone call from our son who called excited about something that he had encountered. He had gone straight home after church. Pastor Eric, y'all know him. We, we just called him Eric then because he was just 18. <laughs> He said, he called, he said, somebody broke into the house. And I caught them in the house and they ran. He said, I chased them as far as I could, but they got away. And Eric said, got me on the phone and said, Daddy, I, I didn't want to tell Mom this. But about all they took was her stuff. I said, she's the only one who has anything worth, worth anything in our house. <laughs> <laughs> they got into Mama's jewelry and all that and Eric was so brokenhearted over it, and Ann was too. But that day she went out there in the, in the lot where the guys had run away. 
And she stood out there and she said, all right, devil, I don't care who the people were. You did this to me. And I command you in Jesus' name, bring my stuff back to me. I know it was you, devil. You've been apprehended. Amen. You've been identified as the thief. Amen. And I demand my sevenfold return in Jesus' name. About a month later, a lady called her. She called me at my office because a woman had called her and said, I want to bring you something. This woman didn't know anything about our, the, the robbery. They broke into our house. She didn't know anything about it. She said, I got something I want to bring you. And, and Ann called me. She said, John, you got to see this stuff that so-and-so brought me. I said, what is it? She said, just come and look at this. So I went home. And I walked in, and there's boxes and boxes and boxes and boxes of all kinds of really valuable stuff. There's a, there's a television. The guy tried to steal my remote control, steal, steal my television, but all they got away with was my remote control. <laughs> I, I wish he'd just taken the TV. Right. <laughs> uh, uh, you guys know what I'm talking about. Oh, get up over there. <laughs> click, click. You know, kids, you, you don't know how, how hard we had it. <laughs> we had to walk all the way across the room to change the channels. Anyway, anyway, uh, it was a television, a microwave, uh, just all kinds of stuff, and it's new, nice stuff. And uh, she's over there with her little head down in the box, just pulling stuff out, just like this. And I walk in, I sit down by a box, and I, I see a baggie full of gold and diamonds and jewelry. And it has written on it, this stuff is real. <laughs> I said, Ann, I poured it out my hand and my hand wouldn't hold it. Two handfuls of jewelry, wow. diamonds and gold. Wow. Yeah. Way more than she had stolen. Yeah. Way, probably seven times more than she had stolen. <laughs> we never did figure it up exactly, but it was a lot. And I said, Ann, this stuff is real. She said, I know, put it back. <laughs> I can't touch it. Put it back. <laughs> when you have access, you have throne room access, that kind of authority is inside you. It's inside you. You don't have to beg God to do, do what He's promised in His covenant. You just got to believe God. It starts with a B, but it ain't begging. It's believing Him. I want to challenge you to act like you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. This week, put it into practice. Act like God lives inside you. He's not up there watching you with binoculars. God is watching us. He's watching us from a distance. No, I'm sorry. He's not from a distance. Not with me. I love that song, but it's wrong. Don't ever let songwriters establish your theology. That's stupid. That's like letting the IR, getting tax information from the IRS. <laughs> tax advice from the IRS. Songwriters write what they feel. They don't write what they know. They write what they feel. It's not always bad, but we should not establish our theology on the basis of God is watching us from a distance. He is not. God lives inside you. He's, he's watching you through your eyes. Amen. Amen. The Ark of the Covenant and the Mercy Seat. 
Ark of the Covenant the Mercy Seat means three things. I'm almost done. Can you can you give me five more minutes? Who'll give me five? Five, ten, fifteen, twenty. The Ark of the Covenant and the Mercy Seat. The word he speaks now. The abundant provision of mercy. That's what it means. The word he speaks now. The abundant provision of mercy. And for you and I, it is the message. The word we have is grace. The word we have is grace. The mercy seat means mercy. Hesed is the word. It's spelled C-H-E-S-E-D. The Hebrew word is hesed. It doesn't just mean mercy. Well, I'll, I won't kill you this time. That's a kind of mercy. But hesed is loving kindness. And it is often rendered favor or grace. That's not just not killing you this time. That's giving you the gun. Grace is considerably more dynamic than mercy. Colossians 4, 6, I'm just going to read you these verses. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Every man needs you to answer him with grace. Well, what do you think about this? What do you think about homosexuals? Can they be saved? Answer every man with grace. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Answer every man with grace. Well, what do you think about how the school system is going to hell and all that? Well, answer every man with grace. Yeah, we address the issues. And there are issues we need to face. But every man needs a message of grace. You're not going to win anybody by telling them they're all going to hell. It don't work. I've tried it. I used to preach on the streets, and I loved preaching about hell on the streets. I did, man. I loved it. I loved angry preaching. Did a lot of it. Once the people to Jesus, I did. I did. Scared them into heaven. But that doesn't make anybody faithful to Jesus. That turn or burn will not make them faithful. It might get them to pray a prayer with you, but it will not keep them. Because nobody stays married because of a marriage license. People stay married because of love. Everyone you know needs this grace message. There were three forms of the Word of God in the Ark of the Covenant. There were three things in that Ark. Three things in that box. Here they are. There was Aaron's rod that budded. There was the golden vessel that, that held, the, held the, the manna. So it had the Aaron's rod that budded, had the manna, and had the tables of the covenant. That is, it had the, the Ten Commandments. They all represent something to us. Aaron's rod, the manna, and the book. The tables of the covenant. Tablets, if you will. They all represent, some, they all represent the Word of God. The first one represented was the Bible. The, the tablets represent the Bible you have. You have the Bible, which is the Word of God written. The next one is the manna. Jesus said, I am that bread that came down from heaven. He, the person of Jesus, is the manna that saved us and kept us alive. Amen. Keep us from dying. The third one is Aaron's rod that budded. 
And what that, what that means is there was, a, there was a challenge to Aaron's authority as, the, as a pastor, so to speak. He was the head high priest, the chief priest, the high priest, and the spokesman for Moses. Remember that? He did most of the speaking for Moses. He was like the pastor of the church, the congregation in the wilderness. And they challenged his authority one time, and Moses said, all right, I'll take, I'll take a rod from each of your families to show you that Aaron's tribe is the right people to be leading us in the spiritual matters, these spiritual things. They put all 12 of their rods in the box. And in the morning, Aaron's rod had budded and produced almonds. The others were still dead. His, his, his rod by itself had come to life. God proving that the five-fold ministry to us, to you and me, what this means is the five-fold ministry is God's way of presenting His Word. So I'm going to give you three scriptures to show you this. You ready? The tablets. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. And that, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures. Paul still calls the scriptures holy, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Verse 16. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So the Word of God in this, in this context is the Bible. All right? The manna then is the Lord Jesus. And John says it like this, John 6, 48. I am, Jesus said, the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a, that a, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give him is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. That's also talking about our communion for you and me. And then the third thing was Aaron's rod that budded. It's found in Titus 1 and 2. Listen, listen to this. Titus chapter 1, verse 2. In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Verse 3. But hath in due times manifested his word through preaching which is committed unto me. Preaching which is committed unto Paul. Paul is the representative of the fivefold ministry. He's the one that taught us about the fivefold ministry according to the commandment of God our Savior. So we have three manifestations of the word of God. The Lord Jesus himself, the Bible, and your pastor. And those who pre preach and teach the word of God in the, in the world today. A manifestation of the Word just as much as the Bible is a manifestation of the Word. A manifestation of the Word just as much as Jesus Himself is a manifestation of the Word. They were all three in that box. Aaron's rod was in that box. Are you, are you getting this? And then fivefold ministry is a gift to the church. Tablets of the Covenant, the Bible. I, uh, I love this, this ministry here that I did not establish this ministry, but I'm so glad that God let me be a part of it starting about five or six years ago when I connected here as an apostolic advisor to this, this ministry. And I still operate as, as an apostolic ministry here. I loved it because we have represented here other ministries, other people who are involved in the ministry here. Now, I'm not the only five-fold person here. Miss Ann, they received her as their pastor. You all received her as your pastor. Yes. 
you have problems, you never call me because you know I'm not going to answer, but <laughs> you always call Miss Ann. And she prays and she comes to visit and she takes care of that kind of thing, runs the show because she's a good pastor. She knows how to do that. But we also have a resident prophet in Frank Feets. And you all have seen it over and over and over. Every other Sunday, I wouldn't mind if it was every Sunday, but, but real regular, Frank would come up to me and say, I have a word. And he'll stand up here and prophesy to this congregation. And I sit there and think, did he know what I was going to preach? Yeah. Y'all have seen it yourself. Yeah. How many times the prophetic word that comes before the message is so much like what we, we preach. This is the word of God coming through vessels. Are you hearing me? Yeah. It's, it's important for, for all of us to know this. And I think about, I made myself a note here. I think about the other day, a few months ago, we got a credible threat, what the police called a credible threat. They had tracked it down. They found out there was a gang. There were some gang members that lived in an apartment complex right near our campus, right next door to our campus, a large apartment complex. And we had heard a rumor. One of the boys who was, lived in that apartment complex came down to see our, our security people and said, look, they're plotting something on, in our apartment complex against your campus. They're talking about they're going to make a hit. Somebody's going to die. It looks bad. They're going to rob the, the headquarters. They're going to do something. He said, I'm not sure what it is, but they're talking really serious about this. The police checked into it and, and came back to us and said, this is a credible threat. We found gangbangers down there, a certain, certain group, and uh, you all need to really be on the alert. So that next day, the word went out to our employees, and uh, our prayer meeting took place. And uh, most of the people in the prayer meeting were my, my employees. About 75 or 100 of them had gathered to pray. And uh, I wasn't leading the prayer. Somebody else was. And these great people, and I'm telling you, I have nothing but the best people working for me. Wonderful people of God. I've never heard a more fearful prayer in my entire life. Their prayer was begging and pleading with God as though He didn't know them at all. It was so full of fear, I could hardly believe my ears. Well, it, it, was, it was scary. I'll admit it was scary. I was afraid, but I wasn't talking my fear. But I, I heard it, and it was scary. When the, when the cops say this is a credible threat, and you know what gangs, gang members can do, what they're capable of, it was It was scary. But these, the, this, this prayer meeting was worse. It, that was scarier to me than the threat. <laughs> but the people who are teaching our next generation about prayer and faith operated in such, such anxiety and fear. It was kind of sad. So I rebuked them all. That's my job. I'm in high-powered people. When it was over, the leader looked at me and said, Dr. Holler, you got anything to say? I said, oh yeah, I got something to say. It's not going to go down good, but I'm going to say it because you, you asked me. I didn't intrude here. You asked me. He said, yeah, we want to hear it. I said, people, I don't know what this prayer meeting was about, but it was full of fear. And God is not the God who responds to fear. I, I said this to them, I said, I do not have to beg my father to protect me. That's my father's job. All I have to do is obey and believe. So we left that day 
A couple of weeks later, I'm, I'm in my car, about to pull out onto the, onto the road out of the parking lot from, the, from the, uh, what we call our IB, our big auditorium. And our headquarters, my office, is across the, across the street over there. Y'all should come see me sometime. But as I pulled up there, I saw a gangbanger, guy dressed with all the colors and all the way they dress, walking down the street pushing a little baby carriage with his woman. He's obviously a tough guy, got a scowl on his face and, you know, he dressed real nice so he's getting money from someplace. And they're walking along there, he's pushing his carriage with his little girlfriend here beside him. And I pull out there and I think, man, you need to get a job. You know, my redneck came out in me. <laughs> you a creep, go get a job. That's all I was thinking. But the Holy Ghost in me was thinking something else. You got that holy place in you even when your head and mouth is messed up. Amen. I got this holy place in me that, that interdicts once in a while. And I pulled into the parking lot and the Holy Ghost said to holler, give him some money. I, I know missionaries that would like to have my money. Give him some money. And I said out loud with my mouth, I said, Lord, you know I only have two $100 bills in my wallet. That's all the money I've got. I've got two $100 bills. And I'm either going to have to give him $100 or $200. Now, I'll do either. But you need to know I don't want to do this. I don't want to do either. The Lord said, give him $100. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I parked my car. Reached in my wallet, got out a $100 bill, rolled it up. Now, I don't think I carry $100 bills all the time. I do once in a while. When Miss Ann's kind to me. Put that $100 bill in my pocket. Got out of my car. And by this time, he's down the street a little ways. And I said, hey, hey, can, pardon me, sir. Can I talk to you for a minute? He stops and turns around and looks at me. Yeah. What do you want, white man? You know, like, didn't say it, but he had a scowl on his face like, who do, who do you think you are talking to me? And I just kept walking toward him. He just kept standing there. He got this rough look on his face. The little girl, she didn't look like she was very friendly. I hadn't done anything to these people. But I thought, Jesus, if he pulls a knife, I'm going to pull mine, you know? <laughs> don't think I don't have one. I didn't know what I was going to do, but he, uh, I said, I reached in there and pulled out that $100 bill, and I said, I just have to tell you, Jesus is thinking about you for some reason today. He loves you. He's got you on his mind, and that's why he told me to give you this. He went, his faith so face softened. Tears welled up in his eyes, and he just said, looking at me, he said, who are you? I said, I'm the director of this ministry here. I'm the, I run this school here. And I just want you to know that Jesus has you on his mind today. He loves you. He said, well, thank you, sir. He said, could I give you a hug? Aww. I said, sure. Aww. So we hugged and we hugged and, we just, and he squeezed me tight. You know, and I was still expecting a knife in the side or something. I didn't know. But <laughs> he didn't do that. He said, this is my girl. He told me her name. I, I can't say those kind of names. I don't know. I don't remember it. <laughs> And then he said, and he said to his, told me who his little baby was, and I don't, know, don't remember that name either. But his name was Jamal. 
He said, I'm Jamal. This Mrs. whatever and Mrs. whatever. And uh, this boy, his whole countenance changed. I said, you go in peace. He said, yes, sir. God bless you. I said, God bless you, son. He went on his way. And I turned and went back toward my car. And as I'm walking toward my car, you know what the Holy Spirit said to me? John, you just dealt with that credible threat. Seven months later, we've not had one incident. Not one. Woo! How do you deal with a credible threat? Beg your father to, to keep you safe or obey and believe. Amen. Praise God. Stand upon your feet.